Now, in our nation, you all know it is an election year. And one of the things that comes along with an election year is we are treated every day to a stream of polls. Who's doing what? How are they faring in the polls? I doubt it's of any interest to the rest of you. I don't see any reason why it would be because he's been dismissed from the beginning. I am paying particular interest to John Kasich. Those of you who know me, we've had a chance to talk. It's only for this reason. John Kasich is a very close personal friend to my brother Tom. When I say very close, I mean very close. So I'm interested to see what happens there, even though I don't expect that he's going to win. Now, our message for today, our text for today, the thing as we come back to the word for today is actually the reporting of a poll if you will. It gives us a public opinion poll as to what was going on in the life of Jesus at this time. And to me, it's especially interesting the way it's simply inserted into the narrative. In fact, before preparing to preach on this for, uh, for this week, I've known this kind of, this sits out there. And, I've, and it's always intrigued me that it's there. So then I thought, I think I want to I come back to this. And I actually want to develop our thoughts on this. And realize in developing thoughts, this may be the first time in my entire years of ministry that I'm going to preach where my text is simply a half of a verse. Yeah, that's all that it is. Now we're going to cover a whole lot more than that. But that's all you'll actually see on the screen. As we turn to Mark chapter 12... Verse 37, the second half, here's this little statement that Mark inserts into his narrative, and the common people heard him gladly. He's going along, he's telling all this stuff that's going on, and then he inserts, and the common people heard him gladly. Hearing Jesus is a joy. Now, most of us sitting here, we go, well, I get that. We would agree with that. We would embrace that. We would say, of course, that's true. Think in terms of Mary and Martha. You know the story. Mary sat and listened to Jesus. Martha was all encumbered with doing a lot of things. When we read that story, we all say, I would like to be Mary. I would like to be the one who sits and listens to Jesus because he has something to say. How many of us would not, you know, we'd we'd pay a lot of money for the admission price if we could hop into a time machine and go back and hear Jesus proclaim the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Would we not give everything we had in order to go back, be there, and just listen to him and be in that moment? Or how many of us, as we have reflected time and time again, as we've come to the Lord's table, how many of us, wouldn't wouldn't we think it incredible to be with Jesus and those men on that last night and to hear how he instructed them? Would we not gladly embrace that opportunity? If somebody gave you the chance and they said, hey, you're going to have a chance to go back and you're going to sit with Jesus and you're going to hear him speak to his disciples on the night he was crucified. Are any of us going to check our calendars and go, oh, I got a television show I'm watching that night. Thanks. I'll pass. We go, no, it'd be incredible. We already embrace this idea that hearing Jesus is a joy. So what's the big deal about this verse? 
Do you notice? There's no moralizing in it, is there? There's nothing says this is good or that's good or this is bad or that's bad. There's no instruction in it. We like to, you know, we as preachers, we like to pro- preach and proclaim and hit it hard. You've got to obey Jesus. You've got to obey God. You've got you to walk in submission. There's nothing there to submit to. It's a simple statement of fact. Just slid in there. So what's the point? So I was first thinking about this. The first thing that it challenged me to was this. Maybe it'll challenge some of us. Is the Jesus we proclaim one whom the common people hear gladly? I'm willing to bet that sets up some defenses in some of our minds. We immediately start churning about, you know, what are you saying? Do we just water him down? Do we just... No, I'm not saying that at all. He was never watered down in the scriptures, but somehow the common people heard him gladly. It's the Jesus we proclaim, one whom the common people hear gladly. So that was just a question that came to my mind. But friends, the significance of the statement, if we're going to understand that statement, and the common people heard him gladly, we have to see it in its context. And although that is our text for today, and it's only a half a verse, we have got, you've got to allow me to, to open up the context of that verse for you before you get why it's really significant. And we don't have time to go verse by verse because it's a broad context. I'm actually going to start all the way back at chapter 11, verse 27. If you have a Bible with you and you want to try and follow, that's fine. I'm not going to read it all. Um, if you want to, that's fine. Um, if not, I'm asking you just to listen. Uh, and back in chapter 11, by the time we get to this in Mark's, uh, this point in Mark's gospel, understand we're into the final week of Christ's life. That's number one. Need to know that. Need to know he's had the triumphal entry. Need to know he's overturned the tables in the temple and said, you've made, you know, my house, uh, my father's house is a temple, but you've made it into a den of thieves. So you need to know a few things have happened that have stirred events in that week. And when we come to verse 27, then they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, notice who this is, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority? are you doing these things and who gave you this authority to do these things? Who are you to step in here and disrupt everything we have going on? We've got a good game going here and you're stepping in and you're causing all sorts of problems. Hey, buddy, who do you think you are? What's your authority? And if you follow it, Jesus says, well, I'll answer your question But you first answer mine. The baptism of John, was it from God or not? And he sets it out before them. And they talk among themselves and think for a minute and realize we're kind of in a predicament here. Because if we say it was from God, he's going to say, then why didn't you listen to him? And if we say it wasn't of God, then then the people who believed it is, they're going to rise up and say, what do you mean it wasn't of God? So they say, well... His, their answer to him then was, well, we don't really know. And he said, yeah, neither will I tell you by what authority I do what I do. And so now there's just this little bit of this challenge 
that is out there. So then, chapter 12, verse 1, he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat and built a tower, and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. The story goes on like this. When it comes time for the harvest, when the man who owns the field, it's time for him to collect the pay from his renters, he sends one of his servants. Servant comes, says, here, here I'm representing the owner, and I need payment. And they beat him and send him back. No respect for him. So he sends another one. And this one they beat even worse. Send them back. He sends some more. He keeps, they keep beating them. He actually killed some of them, Jesus said in this parable. Until finally he says, well, they'll respect my son, my only son. And so he sends his son to collect the rent payment. And they say, hey, hey, good news. This is the guy that if we take him out... There's nobody left. We can get this land for ourselves. And so they kill him. And then Jesus says, what do you think the owner of the vineyard will do? He's going to come and destroy the vine dressers, give the vineyard to others. Have you not Read the scriptures, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, what he's describing is how they treated the prophets, God's prophets of old. And how they dismissed them and killed some of them, and on through the ages they wouldn't hear until the son comes. He, as the son, represents the son in his parable. And he knows they're going to kill him. But he says, isn't it interesting... That back in the Psalms, it was said, the one who you rejected became the cornerstone. He's saying that when you kill me, I'm going to become the cornerstone to God's, the next great movement in God's work is going to be found in me. And they sought to lay hands on him, but feared the multitude, for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So now the challenge is there. They understand that he has just been very confrontational with them that he has just made it clear that what they are about to do and what they want to do is something that God is going to turn right around and he's going to begin a new work as he becomes the cornerstone. And he understand, they understand that they're the ones and they're in line with all of those religious people, religious leaders who had killed the prophets through the centuries. Picking up verse 13. Then they sent, they now being those, this religious leadership, then they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. See, they can't just lay hands on him, Mark just told us, because they fear the crowds. Can't just roughly take him and do away with him right now because the crowds are not going to let that happen. So now they're going to catch him. In his words. Now they're going to set this thing up where he cannot escape. So they send to him Pharisees and Herodians, two of their religious sects that are there. And just like within here, we have different groups within our church who see things differently, and that's fine. We could divide you out if we wanted. No need to do that. But they have these different little groups. The Pharisees would be firm about we only, we only give our money to the temple and we only support our nation. The Herodians were kind of like, look, they're the ones who said, we've got to give some support to Herod. We are occupied, by the way. So you've got two different groups. And so they come with this particular challenge. 
They say, when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. That's a bunch of nonsense. They're just trying to butter him up there, okay? Because they think he's like them, that he can be buttered up. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or not pay? See, they got him set up now, got him caught. Because if he says, don't pay, Jesus, uh, don't pay taxes to Caesar then for the Pharisee's sake, then the Herodians step in and they tell Rome that this guy's raising a problem. Okay, if they go the other direction, then the uh, Herodians, no, then the Pharisees step in. If they say, you've got to pay Caesar's taxes, uh, then guess what? The Pharisees are going to say, this guy's not loyal to Israel. Either way, they got him in this question, right? They think they got him. Give me a coin. You know how it goes. Whose inscription? Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to, uh, give to God what is God's. Okay, he dismisses them. Then the Sadducees, who say there's no resurrection, came to him, and they asked him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring for, uh, for his brother. And that's true. That's in the Leverett Law. You can see that. You can go back and read it. So then, because they're Sadducees who were told they don't believe in a resurrection, they go, We got a question about that. So here's a guy, he dies. Hypothetical, he dies, never, never had, his wife never gave him any children. So then the next brother comes in. And so it's his task is to raise up, raise up seed for his brother. No, nope, nothing happens. Uh, okay, next he dies. Next guy comes in, seven times. Seven brothers had this woman. Now when they get to the heaven, when they get to the resurrection, whose wife is she? See, they think they got him. They've, they've made it look almost absurd. In terms of if you truly believe in resurrection and you believe the law of Moses, that somehow these two, they don't make sense together. And of course, he just dismisses them. He says, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? The power of God meaning God is able to raise people up. The scriptures indicating this, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. So don't you know that God, when he came to Moses at the burning bush, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Now, that has everything to do with the tense. It has everything to do with, he says, he says, he's the God of the living. Our God is the God of the living. And at that time, centuries after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had lived, God still says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning they're still alive. They're alive in the resurrection. But you guys have dismissed that, so you don't get it. And so, you are mistaken. He finishes this little interaction there. You are therefore greatly mistaken, he says to them. All right, so he dismisses them. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. The second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And the scribe affirms to Jesus, hey, yeah, you really got it going down. You were answered rightly. And, God, and Jesus says to him, you know, you're actually getting, kind of getting it here, a little bit. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven. And at that point, it's interesting. I just think it's cute how uh, at the last part of verse 34, uh, Mark notes, but after that, no one dared ask him any more questions. See, they couldn't take him by force, so now they're going to try and trip him in his words. They throw out these arguments. He dismisses every one of them, wins that. They don't know where to go now. Then Jesus answered and said while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that, that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now, we just need to understand that within that, within that system, as they understood things, all right, 
the younger generation speaks up as perhaps Lord, not God, but Lord, to the older generation. The older generation does not call the younger generation Lord. All right? The older generation is seen as more significant, bearing more respect. So Jesus asked this question. How is it that David, who, know, who is going to be, now he's already had it promised to him that he's going to be the one through whose lineage Messiah is going to come. How is it that he says that one day Messiah is going to sit at God's right hand, but the way David says that is he says, the Lord, God, says to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand. How is it that David is calling his descendant Lord? How can that possibly be? You see, if it's all just this human thing, it can't possibly be. It would make no sense. But what he's suggesting, of course, is there's more to this one who is a Messiah than simply a human descendant. And we celebrate that every year in the incarnation when we celebrate Christmas, that he came and he is the God incarnate in man, only unique individual of all of history. And he's the one standing before these guys. So he asks them this question. Therefore, David himself calls him Lord. How is he then his son? Now he's turning the arguments on them. And into that, Mark inserts, and the common people heard him gladly. And they watched him as he was confronted by these all-so-learned people who knew so much and kept their fingers heavy upon the common man with all of their learnedness and all of their rules and all of their laws and kept the weight upon the people. And Jesus comes and just dismisses all of them. common people heard him gladly. Mark gives us one last little clue. Then he said to them in his teaching, now he speaks to the common people, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses. That's why I say they kept their hand heavy upon these people. And for a pretense, make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. He cautions them that there are some people who bear all of the religious trappings because they like the religious trappings. Because they like the honor that comes with the religious trappings. Because they like to be respected. Because they like to be thought high up and significant. He says, watch out for them. Because they're the same ones who devour widows' houses. They make long prayers as if somehow that matters to God. And they have condemnation coming their way. Watch out for them. And this is the point, friends. The common people heard him gladly. Hearing Jesus is a joy. When we clear out the clutter. What sets the common people apart from these these religious leaders, scribes, Pharisees, Herodians, Um, Sadducees that came and they're trying to trip him up in his words. What sets them apart? 
they all, the leaders all have something to protect. They all have this place. They have this power. They have this prestige around them. And if they listen to what he's saying, that's all going to be taken from them. Hearing Jesus is a joy when we clear out the clutter. And here's the challenge to us, friends. I ask time and again, as I ask of my own life, ask of all of us, those places where God is trying to minister into our lives and to, and to tear down the concrete walls that we have built up and to, and, and to break through so that he can then shape us into Christ-likeness. That's the clutter, friends. This is the stuff we've built around ourselves, just like the religious leaders have this whole system around them that protects them. What is it we've got around us that protects us? I, I, if you're as human as I am, and I think we probably all are in that boat, and it's not pretty, okay? We can build this nice little wall of protection around us, and then you know what we do? Then we cover it with the trappings of religion to make it look all nice. I look nice. I'm very, very, you know, I, I say things like, praise God, and only to his glory, and, and only for Jesus, and I want to serve in the kingdom, until something begins to press, upon this, this, this clutter that I have here until something begins to challenge what I've built around myself and tried to make look good. And all of a sudden, you know what? Some of that not-too-nice stuff begins to come out of me. Now, I want to say something purely, and some of you will not even believe me. And if you're not believing what I'm saying, then I'm asking, would you examine some clutter there? Is there any clutter in that point? If you just reject what I'm about to say, see if it speaks of clutter. And it's purely for illustration because it goes much deeper and it's much harder when we reference it one step further. We've just thrown out the possibility of a name change. You saw in the bulletin, um, if you weren't with us last week, thanks for those who are here. Please, will you grab the, the one-page handout that's on the, in the foyer out here and it will set forth for you a rationale as to what we set forth. It'll set forth the new name. It'll tell you... Um, some other ideas around it, okay? Will you please pick one up? Because what we're asking is for us to get a discussion going among ourselves. This discussion is going to take months. And we wanted this discussion going among ourselves. So that's a discussion starter. We'll be throwing some other things out over the course of the next few weeks as discussion starters. But here's the point. As you are involved in the discussion on this, pay attention whether or not in the discussion, if, something, if you hear somebody saying something that you don't agree with, whether or not there's an internal tension, whether or not there's a desire to fight, to, point, to, to uh, make an argument back, find, listen whether or not in your spirit you start accusing the other person for having a view different than yours. This is what I mean by clutter. Because we're all going to say, we, all, we only want to hear God's voice on the question of a name. We'll all say that until it begins to poke, maybe at places where we didn't want to be poked there. Oh, all of a sudden, you know, these religious things that we say about only for Jesus and only for his glory, huh, maybe we didn't mean them as much. 
Now, this is purely an illustration to say this is the kind of thing we have to pay attention to, attention to internally. And we all can identify with that because we all are responding, at least 75 of us were here last week, are responding to what we heard one way or another. And we feel that and we, we could go, oh, man, I get it. See, because that's minor. What I'm really thinking we need to consider That just illustrates for us what we're looking for in trying to identify clutter. What about in the context of our families? What are the places within our families where we have defined such a defensive mode? We have built so much stuff around us that absolutely cannot be broken down. And and we claim, I want to let Jesus have complete control of my life until it comes to this point Where he's saying, you know, there's some things in the way you're dealing within your family that need some adjustment. And somehow we don't hear him on that. And somehow that gets pushed to the side. That's getting a little too close, Lord. What about relationships with neighbors? What about relationships with fellow workers? What about relationships here within the church? I want to glorify God. See, that's the stuff. That's the long robes. That's the long prayers. That the, that's how the Pharisees or the uh, scribes carried it about. We carry about our own stuff. What's the stuff we put on and we make all of these warm, fuzzy statements about how much we love God and yet we really struggle even to be civil to a brother or sister in the Lord who we worship with every week. And God begins to poke and prod and say, you know what? I'm trying to speak to you here but I'm running up against clutter. You see, friends, because hearing Jesus is a joy when we clear out the clutter. The clutter prevents us in its defensiveness from hearing how he would say, you know what, there may be a different way to respond to this brother or sister, to respond to your mom or dad. There may be a different way to go about it that's filled with grace and kindness. Can we hear Jesus gladly? Seriously. As he speaks to any issue in our life, can we hear him gladly on that issue? Or do our defenses jump on certain things? What I'd like to suggest in those places where our defenses jump, maybe we need to be asking some soul-searching questions. Us and him, Spirit of God, reveal to me why I get so defensive, whether with a family, a work situation, whatever it is. Help me know what I need to learn here, Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you that that you, as much as we celebrate that you healed Danae physically, oh, Father, we beg that you heal us internally and spiritually so that we truly can hear your voice with gladness. And Lord, sometimes it's going to mean us allowing you to tear down our defenses. Identify those for us and give us the courage to say, yes, Lord, knock them down. Knock down these walls so I can hear Jesus with gladness. And we pray it in your precious son's name. Amen.